This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Here at the beginning of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, I can just imagine David sitting in his throne room, bouncing his new baby boy upon his knee. He's probably so proud of his new little baby boy. And, and months earlier, his beautiful new wife, Bathsheba, had given birth. And here, he's proudly holding this boy up, this son up. You know, he's excited. I have a child. And to all the outside world, everything looks great. I don't know exactly how David sold this. I don't know if David said, Uriah, one of my mighty men of valor, is dead. He got killed in battle. I'm going to go take care of his wife. And I'll bring Bathsheba, his beautiful wife. I'll take care of her. She'll become my wife. And I know that she's pregnant. And guess what? The, the baby that's born, I'll raise as my own. And maybe David sold it. As to the outside world looking in, I will be so benevolent, I'll be kind, I'll take care of his widow, everything will be fine, I'll take care of his kid, everything will be great. I don't know. Maybe he sold it this way. I will take care of Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, who got killed in battle. It is so sad he is one of my mighty men of valor. Let us pause. And remember him. Moment of silence. All right, now that the moment of silence is over, I will take Bathsheba to be my eighth wife, and I will take care of her in her widowhood, and she'll become my wife. It'll be great. And then, oh, look, Bathsheba, she got pregnant a couple days later, and maybe a couple weeks later, and oh, look, she's pregnant with my child, and isn't this wonderful? I don't know exactly how he sold it. I don't know if he sold it as, I'm going to take care of Uriah's widow, or take care of his wife, she's going to become my wife, she was pregnant, 
Or if he said, she is going to be my wife and oh look, she got pregnant. But either way, the world looking in is thinking, wow, David is great. Everything is going great for David. Everything is wonderful. And isn't he such a good king? And isn't he so wonderful? And look how he's taking care of Bathsheba. She is a babe. She is incredibly good looking. But man, you know what? That was still very good of David to take her in and the child. Man, that lucky kid is now going to be raised in a royal home. And the outside looking in, everything is sunshine and roses. But things are about to change. Because what they don't know is the secret that David's hiding. And we all know the tragic secret underneath it all. That David killed Uriah himself. That the baby she's giving birth to is not Uriah's. And that this baby was conceived while she was still married to Uriah, which makes David a murderer, he killed Uriah, and an adulterer. He had sex with someone's wife while she was married to someone else. That's what adultery means. He did these evil things before the Lord, and it says at the end of chapter 11 that what David did displeased the Lord. And outwardly, everything's great, and David thinks he got away with something, but underneath it all, David's hiding a secret. I wonder if that secret wore on him, and wore on him, and wore on him, and not only that, there's a day of judgment, a day of reckoning coming for David, and he doesn't know it. Well, today is the day. When it all comes out in the open. But again, David doesn't know it. He's keeping a lie going. And he's probably sitting there in his throne room, bouncing his baby boy on his knee, when in walks Nathan the prophet. Now, Israel always had a main prophet who was the voice of the Lord, who would speak to God. And it used to be Samuel, and now it's Nathan. And David has always had a good relationship with the head prophet of Israel. And here he's had a good relationship with Nathan this whole time. So in walks Nathan into the throne room, and David thinks, great, it's Nathan. He's probably going to tell me something else wonderful that's going on. Maybe he takes his fine little baby boy and passes him off to the nurse because he wants to hear what Nathan has to say. Come on in, Nathan, and in walks Nathan the prophet. And Nathan stands before him and maybe bows. And he says, oh, king, I have a story to tell you. And David says, all right, let me hear it. And then Nathan begins to tell a story. Now, the king of Israel, and David in particular, would often act as a judge. They would have to decide cases. And I wonder if David in his head is thinking, well, he's telling me a story that I'm going to have to decide who's right, who's wrong here. This is good. And so Nathan begins to tell a story. And he says this, there were two men in a certain city, David. The one was rich and the other one was really poor. 
The rich man had flocks a gazillion. He had herds a dozen. He had sheep after sheep after sheep after sheep. He had goat after goat after goat after goat. While the poor man had one little lamb. A ewe lamb. Now that's E-W-E, right? So you have a ram, which is a male sheep, and then you have a ewe, E-W-E, which is a female sheep. And here, this poor man had one little female lamb. And it was so cute and so wonderful. And in fact, it sort of became his pet, and it wasn't uncommon back then for people to have lambs and sheep as pets. So this little lamb, the only one he had, became his pet. And Nathan says he loved this pet, and he would take care of it, and he would feed it from the table, and he would let it drink out of his cup. It became, Nathan says, like a daughter to him. It became like a daughter to him, like his own little child. And Nathan says he held it in his arms and just babied it. And he loved this lamb. Well, one day, the rich man who's got herds and herds and herds of goats and goats and sheep and sheep and flocks and flocks and everything you'd ever want, he comes into town and he's traveling through and he stays with the poor man and he says, you've got to make me a meal because that's what they did back then, Eastern hospitality. And it's still true today, I've heard, that in the East, if you show up, the host has to feed you well. Hey, make for me a meal and... There you would slaughter your finest goat, kill your finest sheep, turn it into a great meal, and everything is great, and everybody eats amazing hospitality. The problem is, the poor man only has one little ewe lamb. And it's like his daughter. It's, it's like a child to him. While the rich man has all these sheep and all these flocks. Nathan leans into David and says, Well, David, guess what? The rich man grabs and steals the lamb from the poor man. And right before the poor man, he takes out a knife and slits his throat. Kills it. Chops up that little lamb and grills it over the fire and turns it into food. He takes the one lamb the poor man had, takes it from him and steals it and kills it and turns it into food when he had all these sheep. And David, who's listening, he gets angry. He starts to grind his teeth and he stands up and he says, that is not fair. The rich man deserves to die. That rich man, his life should be taken. And he says, at the very least, he needs to pay back the poor man for sheep. Because that was the law back then. David knew the law. He says, oh, how I love thy law, Lord. And he knew the law. And he knew that if somebody stole your sheep, the thief had to pay it back fourfold, which means for every one you took, you had to give four back in return. 
David says that rich man deserves to die, but at the very least, he needs to reward that poor man with four extra sheep. But I can imagine David shaking his head. He deserves to die. That is just cruel. That is just mean. He should die. And then Nathan leans forward and takes his bony finger and shoves it in the nose of David. And he presses with every word. And he says, David, you are the man. David sits back and he slumps down on his throne. And he realizes he's been caught. His sin is exposed. His sin is in the open. And Nathan leans into him and he says, David, God knows what you did. God knows that you killed Uriah. God knows that you slept with Bathsheba. God knows that that baby came from an adulterous affair. God knows everything you did. He knows it all. And David, Nathan says, because of your sin, there will arise in your own family an evil. The sword is never going to leave your house. And there is going to arise in your family someone who is going to be evil to you. And he's going to take all your wives. And he's going to take all your girlfriends. And he's going to own them all from your own family. And your sin that is so well hidden, when that happens, it's going to be so well known. Everybody's going to look and see and exactly see this horrible sin. It's going to be out in the open. And this evil that arises in your home is going to dominate and destroy you, David, and own everything you have so everybody can see the sinfulness of David. David looks at him, and I can imagine a tear starts to form in his eye, and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. <sighs> Finally, David. Finally. Instead of playing a game, instead of pretending, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. He admits it. And I can imagine him wailing and exclaiming out, oh, how I have sinned against the Lord. He confesses his sin. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen that he who confesses his sin will find mercy. The whole verse goes, whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. But if they confess and they turn from them, they will find mercy. And here is David. He's finally confessed it. He's finally said, I have sinned. But not only that, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. It's so interesting. He doesn't say against Uriah, which he did. 
against Bathsheba, which he did, against the nation of Israel, which he did, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Because in the end, that's what all sins are. They are sins against the Lord. God expects something different of his people. God expects a heart of obedience. And he wants a heart of love. And acting out of that love to then be obedient to his commands. And when we sin, when we don't clean up our room, when we get all lippy with our mom and dad, when we have anger in our heart against a colleague, against a co-worker, when, when we yell at our wife or yell at our husband, whatever that sin happens to be, yes, it's against them, but ultimately it's against the Lord. That sin is a transgression. Instead of hiding it, man, we have got to confess. And that's where changing our life and moving forward begins, right? If you hide your sin, you cannot prosper. But he who confesses them, and who do you confess it to? The Lord. You know, the Bible says if, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Man, that's where it starts is saying, Lord, please forgive me. I have sinned. I have failed. Well, Nathan says, you're the man and here's the consequences. You're going to lose everything. And there is an evilness in your house that's going to arise out of this. And David's reaction to this, to this punishment by God is to say, I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. It's so different than a lot of us, right? When we're caught out, when we're caught in a sin, a lot of us, our first reaction is to go, yeah, yeah, well, it wasn't my fault, you know, it was somebody else, it was my brother, it was my stupid sister, it was my, uh, it was my, it was, you, you never explained the instructions correctly, whatever it happens to be, right? God says, nope, that's not what I want. You've got to own it. You've got to realize you're the man, you're the woman. You're the one who fell flat on their face. You're the one who made the wrong choices. You're the sinner. Instead of rationalizing and playing the blame game, admit it. I sinned. And I sinned against the Lord. And that's what David did that was right. Because a sin of adultery, according to Old Testament law, should have required Bathsheba and David to be stoned. They should have been killed right then and there. But Nathan then says, The Lord has put away your sin. In other words, he says, God is going to show you grace. You deserve death, but God has decided to put it away. You will not die. That's what Nathan says to David. I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to tell you about God's grace. You deserve death, but you will not die because God's decided to put it away. Instead, and Nathan, I think, maybe paused. He looks over at the nurse holding the beautiful little baby boy. And he looks back at David and he says, Instead, your child is going to die. 
Your child is going to die, David. And then it says, Nathan then went to his house. What a way to end it. Yes, David, God is showing you grace. And by not killing you, he is showing you grace upon grace. But David, you still have to live with the consequences of your sin. You know, when Jesus died upon the cross, he took all of your sin upon your shoulders, upon his shoulders. And when you ask for forgiveness, and when you say, Lord, please forgive me, God will extend you grace upon grace. And he says, your sin is as far from the east as from the west. He will remember them no more. Your transgressions will not stand against you. If you've asked the Lord to be your savior... If you've asked him to be your God, God says you are now justified and your sins no longer stand against you. Isn't this wonderful? But you know what? We still have to deal with the consequences of our sin, don't we? And that's what David has to deal with here. Yes, his sins are forgiven, but the impact of his sin... It's going to hurt his family, and it's going to hurt his house, and it's going to hurt his line for a long time. And it starts right here with the death of his son. And so it says that his son got sick. This little baby got sick. And David sought the Lord to heal his son, even though David knew this affliction came from the Lord, even though he knew that this was because of his sin, he sought the Lord's face. He asked the Lord for mercy. He fasted, and it says he went in and lay all night on the ground and begged the Lord, please heal my son. Please don't let this happen. Please, 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 for seven days. On the seventh day... The little baby dies. And the servants are hesitant to go in. Because this weeping and this wailing that David's been doing is usually reserved for after you find out your loved one's dead, not before. And once David finds out that the baby's dead, he's going to weep and wail for, for who knows how long I'm afraid to go. And David notices them talking amongst themselves and, and how afraid they are. And David puts two and two together and it says, David understood that the child was dead. So David is wailing and David is crying and David is on the floor begging. But once he finds the child is dead... He stops. He gets up and he washes and he anoints himself and he changes his clothes. And then he goes in to worship the Lord. He worships the Lord, and the servants are like, This is so confusing. You fasted and wept, and, and we were afraid you were going to hurt yourself while the child was still alive, but now the child's dead. You you arise and eat food and go and worship the Lord like everything's fine. And what is this? What is it? And David says, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live, but now that he's dead... 
Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I can't. Instead, someday when I die, I'm going to go to him. But he's not going to return to me. So I might as well get on with my life. Do what the Lord has set before me because I know that someday I'm going to be with him. And we're going to be together for eternity. I mean, that's a big encouragement, right, for those who have lost the little baby, you know? You wonder. They've never had a chance to ask Jesus to save them. They've never had a chance to hear the gospel message. How do we know what happens to that little baby? Well, straight from this story, David is so confident that baby is with the Lord. He is resurrected. He's with the Lord in paradise. And one day David's going to see him and be with him when he dies. And I just want to encourage anybody who's lost a little baby like that, be encouraged. That baby is with the Lord. We can take it here from Scripture. That baby is with the Lord. And one day you'll be with him or her for eternity. So pick yourself up. Grieve. But get busy about what the Lord has given you to do down here. As best you can, go on and serve him. So David, he goes to his wife and he and he comforts her and tells her exactly what the Lord's told him. And with the death of the baby, she must be broken and just tragically sad. Well, nine months later, the Lord blesses her with another baby and they give birth to Jedediah. Man, isn't that great? Jedediah means beloved of the Lord. Actually, Bathsheba and David, they didn't name him Jedediah. They named him Solomon. Solomon. And you know what? It says of Solomon, this little baby, that the Lord loved him. That's the only person in the Old Testament that that is said of. That the Lord loved him. And it seems like this idea that the Lord chose him because the next king to follow David is this little baby Solomon. And it says the Lord loved him. And that's why his second name was Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. Well, David now has a new son. And he hears news from Joab that the town of Rabbah is about to be taken. And he says, hey, you had better get down here because I'm about to take Rabbah and I don't want all the credit to go to me, Joab. No, I want it to go to you, King David. I'm about to take this Ammonite territory. So he goes down there and they fight and they destroy Rabbah and they take all the Ammonites prisoner. And it says that they become they're slaves, and they begin to build huge brick kilns, and they work hard, and they totally wipe out the Ammonites. And it says also that David got a crown made out of gold that was 75 pounds. David got a gold crown that weighed 75 pounds with a huge precious stone on it. And it looks like this crown was at the top of this statue called Molech. 
And the Ammonites worshipped and would sacrifice their babies to this god. And they put this hugely, fantastically expensive, amazing 75 pounds worth of gold. Can you imagine how expensive that thing must have been on top of this statue? And when David and the Israelites took Rabbah, destroyed the Ammonites, they took that crown. And it was theirs. It says at the end of chapter 12, Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. David confessed his sin. David, when confronted with his sin, confessed it. He still had to deal with the consequences. He still had to deal with the tragic implications of what he had done. And from now on, the rest of this story is going to go dark. It's going to be tragic and sad. This is the pinnacle of David's achievement as king. He's expanded his territory so far, but because of one stupid, sinful choice, his sin is now going to impact others around him and his kingdom. That's what I just want to end with, is just to say your sin impacts other people. You know, your sin isn't just an individual choice. Your sin isn't so well hidden that it just impacts you. No, your sin impacts those around you. Fathers, when you sin... When you choose to lust after another woman who's not your wife, when you choose to think bad thoughts, when you choose to be lazy, when you choose anger, wives, when you choose all those things as well, stop. Before you make that choice, think about how it's going to impact my husband, my wife, my children, my reputation, my name. Kids, the Bible says even a child is known by his doing. If you continually choose rebellion and anger and bad attitude and people are going to know they're a brat they are not fun to be around they are evil they are bad and when you make those choices again and again and again it impacts your family you could have a fun family home but oh here comes dave he's always in a bad mood let's move our game and play it quietly in this other room because we don't want him around oh when he's gone everything's so much better man your sin impacts other people let's do right let's choose joy and to choose joy let's choose obedience Let's save ourselves from a world of hurt by choosing to obey the Lord today. And when we do sin, because we will, and when we do fail, let's confess our sin to the Lord, because right away we know we've sinned against God, and then let's confess our sin to those we've hurt. What a difference that'll make in our lives, in our families, and in our future. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life.
new episodes added every week. Thank you.